It is the third Sunday of Advent, which means it's, it's joy and it's nearly Christmas. Anyone here excited for Christmas? I'm sure if I'd asked that question five minutes ago when all the kids were here, um, I would have got a more enthusiastic answer. Um, uh, some of us, uh, Christmas means uh, jobs and lists and things to be done, doesn't it? Um, and for others, it just means opening presents and eating an awful lot of candy. Uh, as we continue going through Advent, uh, we're in the second half of Luke chapter 3. Um, well, not quite the second half, the second bit. Um, the second half is the genealogy. Uh, that would be a fun preach, but I don't think we get that one. Um, so we continue with John the Baptist, or as I said last week, John the Baptizer, John the one who is going round baptizing. Um, and uh, so I'm going to talk about John. I'm going to use three W's. Um, I'm going to talk about John and his warnings and the work that he says they are to do. And then we are left still waiting. We've got warnings, work, and waiting. I remember being younger and driving in a car for a car journey um, and um, nowadays i don't know some of you may have a car and you either have inbuilt or a little holder um, for a gps device or a phone that's telling you where you're going uh, just raise a hand if you have a car that does that and and on it it probably says how long till you get there how many kilometers it is um, the estimated arrival time and the time now and so I'd be curious if someone did a survey, and I haven't done this, but if someone did a survey of, um, of, of young kids these days, I'm curious whether there is still the same um, frequency of people saying, are we nearly there yet? Because now if someone says that in my car, I just say, you can see the screen. <laughs> but when I was small, um, I didn't know where I was, and we would be driving on the highway, uh, not knowing how far it was to a certain place. I had no sense of where we were. And then fast forward a few years, I remember my first trip on a plane. I went to Peru from London, um, and uh, you can't fly straight from London to Peru. Um, I don't know why. I guess there's not the demand. So we flew via Atlanta, Georgia, um, on an, a very old plane with Delta Airlines, and um, was it Northwest? They merged. Anyhow, um, I digress. We flew to Atlanta, and after about, you know, they'd come round and they'd, they'd given, um, in the days when they gave you stuff for free on planes, they'd come round, they'd given us a meal and a drink, had a, my can of Sprite there on the plane and some, some pretzels. And, and who eats pretzels in real life? And then you get on the plane, would you like some pretzels? Um, I'm sure some of you eat pretzels, but there we are. And, and uh, so about two hours had elapsed of my journey, which was going to be about uh, 16 hours of flying and like 20 hours in total because of the weight we were going to have to do at Atlanta. Um, and I was really quite fidgety um, because in those days, uh, there was nothing to tell you where you were on the plane, um, apart from the ticket telling you what seat to be in. The movie was on one big screen at the front, um, and that, that was it. So there was none of this moving map telling you where you were. And so um, I went to one of the crew and I said, uh, how much longer have we got? And she looked at her watch and she said, well, we're about two hours into the flight, there's another six to go. And I thought, oh, here I am 20 years old asking, are we nearly there yet? And the answer was that disappointing no. 
You have to sit and wait. And yet, there is a meaning in our waiting. As we wait in Advent, as we hold off celebrating Christmas until Christmas Eve at sundown, as we hold off celebrating Christmas, we are in this period of waiting. And as we wait, John gives us some helpful hints, hints today in terms of what we can do and what we can learn. So let's look at those. Firstly, uh, we get warnings. John said to the crowds coming to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, I've done quite a few baptisms. Um, adults, babies, children, people of all ages. Uh, can you imagine what would happen if, as I saw them coming to be baptized, I said, you brood of vipers. <laughs> it wouldn't go down well, would it? Um, they'd probably run out of the church. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I can tell you, these stones can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. This is harsh. These are harsh warnings. In other gospels, we read um, that the, um, the crowds um, are specifically the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So in Luke, we don't get that specifically, but there's an implication here that he's talking to religious people. Religious people who basically say, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. I have got my membership card to the family of Abraham. I'm fine. I'm good. But John, as he warns them, points out that actually they're not producing fruit in keeping with repentance. They're not living the kind of lives that you would expect somebody uh, to be living who is uh, a child of Abraham, who is a child of God, who, is, is, who considers themselves uh, you know, holier than thou, as they did. He gives them this heavy warning. And so they say in verse 10, what should we do? I think we have to give them credit as he is quite harsh in calling them vipers. Uh, they, they listen and they don't just walk away. I think there are some people, they may, they may hear that. Uh, they may hear that accusation and say, I'm not listening to this. And off they'd walk. But what we see here is the crowd recognizing the authority that John has uh, in, in the way he's speaking, recognizing he's someone they want to listen to, they ask him, okay then, John, so what do you think that we should do? So the warnings turn to work. What is the work they have to do? John answers verse 11, anyone who has two shirts should share it with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. He gives them work to do work that's quite practical. Um, we collected a lot of things for five different places a couple of weeks ago over two different weekends. One set of things was planned. We were collecting stuff to, to send off to Mission to Seafarers, the Ballantine Project, and Women Care Pregnancy Center. Um, but the week before that, in response to the floods in Abbotsford, we had people bring in uh, food and clothing. Um, it is Luke 3, 11. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone with food should do the same. And there's a sense in which it's good when the church can do that. 
when we can recognize a need just across the river and say, you know, there are people there who um, we'd like to support. What can we do? And our instinct is we want to help and we want to do something. Um, and John's answer is probably, you know, you've already got the stuff in your house. You already probably have more shirts than you need. You already probably have more food than you need. Can you share some of what you have? In the waiting for Jesus to return, there is work for us to do. We don't want to be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, at the start of today's reading, who are accused of being a brood of vipers, who are warned that if they're not producing fruit, their tree might be cut down. We want to be the people who instinctively are saying, you know what? there's someone in need, I'm going to help them. And um, historically, the church has done this as an institution. And so that's how there are a lot of, a lot of charities and NGOs have started around the world because the church said, hey, we should do something. And so we organize ourselves and make a big organization in order to go and provide uh, help to people. And in some cases, I think that's really necessary. But one of the things that we've been talking about here uh, at St. George's, at least since I've been here, is, is this sense of, of it. it isn't just about what the church does as a whole. It's about each of us as we go out into our front lines, the places where we are Monday to Saturday, as we go out into the community, as God puts particular things on our hearts. So it might be that as you read this verse, food poverty is the thing that really strikes you. It might be that you're familiar with kids in schools who don't have enough food to eat. And so the food bank in Maple Ridge has a program um, which uh, works with the Salvation Army, I think, and they, and they provide food and snacks to people in schools. Um, Starfish Backpacks, a number of people have, have supported and continue support to support that as, as they provide um, backpacks of food to go home with families who would be receiving those midweek programs. A few, a few things there. And I think my point is it's not about necessarily all of us together all having to do exactly the same thing. But it's about as we allow um, our Christian faith what we read and learn about in the Bible, what we pick up at church, as that filters into our lives, then we go. And we go and do those things that God's put on our heart. And so we don't all have to do the same thing. We don't all have to be about food poverty or about homelessness or about whatever other issue. We can all do different things as we respond to the calling. And that's what John's saying here. Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. Anyone with food should do the same. It's not one size fits all. It is each of us doing what we can to live out our faith in practice. There is work for us to do. Specifically, there's two groups here, the tax collectors and the um, soldiers who are referenced. Um, the tax collectors were coming to be baptized. Um, what you, you probably know this about tax collectors, but just in case, if you don't, the tax collectors, the way it worked back then um, in Roman times was they, they, they outsourced. Uh, governments are great at outsourcing. It's no new thing. Um, and, and so they'll outsource something. And of course, um, at, at the risk of being too political, when you outsource something, uh, it allows somebody to make some money, right? 
so what they did was they outsourced tax collecting in some of these faraway areas that were part of the Roman Empire, but not kind of, you know, in the middle of Rome. Uh, they, they outsourced them. And so somebody would basically pay them a load of money to buy the rights to go and collect the taxes. So all the taxes are paid up front. It's a bit like how debt collection works and debts are sold and student loans are amalgamated and sold and mortgages are amalgamated and sold. So it's the same kind of principle. Um, only what they would do is, is the government, the Roman Empire, were, were paid the taxes they needed to get. Then the tax collectors uh, were free to go and get as much money as they could out of the poor people living in these areas. And they had the authority of, of Rome behind them, which was a lot of authority. And then uh, along with them, they would bring uh, the soldiers. Um, and so the soldiers were part of it. Um, you know, speaking of, of being in Peru, uh, I, I remember we'd stop at certain points and, and there would be points where the bus driver would have a wadge of cash and would have to hand some cash to some official in order to carry on passing through. Uh, so it's not that, you know, we hope this isn't happening today in Canada and in, in, in many parts of the world, but in many places, this kind of stuff still um, goes on. And so John's words, don't collect more tax than you're required to. Be fair. You need to collect the tax you're meant to collect. And there's meant to probably be a profit for the tax collector to pay them for, for what they do. But it's not meant to be extorting money. And the soldiers, likewise, they said, what should we do? He said, don't extort money. When you're going and collecting, or when you're going with the tax collectors, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with what you have. Whilst I'm sure that those particular nuanced messages don't apply to any of us, the general principle of not extorting money, of not accusing people falsely and being content with your pay or with, with what you have um, are principles that all of us uh, can, um, can probably get into. So he gives them a warning. He says, you have work to do. And then in verse 15, we are back to waiting, the third W. The people were waiting expectantly and wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. The reason they're listening to John is because they're thinking to themselves, I wonder if this is the Messiah. I wonder if this is the Christ coming back or the Christ who's coming. I wonder if this is God with us. And so John says to them all, he says, there is a greater one who is to come. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John both says he isn't the greatest, he isn't the, he isn't the Messiah, there's one who is far greater who's coming. And secondly, that his baptism is inferior to the baptism Jesus will bring. Because John just baptizes with water. And Jesus will baptize with water and the Holy Spirit. They're waiting expectantly. We know this is very close to Jesus coming at this point as we read the passage. I think it's really hard for us to wait expectantly um, because 
the church has been talking and preaching about Jesus returning forever. And you read in the New Testament, especially in the letters, this excitement that Jesus is coming back. And yet we know in the reality of human history that hasn't happened yet. A number of people have claimed to be Jesus, normally in parts of the United States and normally with TV channels. Um, but uh, Jesus has not yet returned. And so we're in this time where I'm standing here at the front of a church in the south of a country in the northern hemisphere telling you that Jesus is coming back. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, we heard this before. You said it last week. And you said it the week before that. And you said it last year. And the year before that. It's hard to be in that, and I want to acknowledge that, it's hard to be in this place where each year we revisit this thing of waiting and thinking about Christ to return. And yet somehow um, it is a reminder to us, I think, of how we need to put the return of Christ to the front of our mind and not always leave it on the back burner. We need to ask ourselves the questions, how then should we live if Christ were to return tomorrow? How then would we live? What would we do differently? And so the end of the reading today, uh, of, um, it says, with many other words, John extorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And then John rebuked Herod because of his marriage to Herodias. Uh, this comes just after what we heard, um, but it's quite fun. Um, so John basically tells um, Herod off because of this uh, marriage he's had to his brother's wife, that Herod's had to his brother's wife, um, and all the other th evil things he's done. And we get some wonderful humor here in, um, in Luke 3.20. Herod added this to them all, what he added uh, to all the evil things. He added one more evil thing, it says. He locked John up in prison. So John uh, starts off uh, with a crowd of people um, accusing them of not behaving in the right kind of way, um, of needing to show fruit uh, in line with their faith and repentance. He gives them work to do, and he tells them to wait because Jesus is coming. And what does the ruler say, Herod? He doesn't like any of this. And he uses his power to shut John up by putting him in prison. The challenge for us is not to do what Herod did and to close the Bible and to say, that's enough of John warning us. These things don't really apply to us. The challenge for us is to see those warnings and to say, what can we learn from them? How can we make sure we are watching and waiting how can we keep on working in this season of waiting, waiting for Christ to return? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, this uh, story in the gospel. We thank you for the words of John the Baptist. We pray you'd help each of us in this season of Advent as we look for the coming of Christ. Help us to be watching and waiting. Help us not to be like the tax collectors and the soldiers. Help us to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
In Jesus' name, amen.